0: Monday and welcome to The Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is April 16th, 2018, and joining me is Jenna Lippitz from The Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Of course. All right. Let's talk about uh, what happened over the weekend. Uh, we, we're, we're of course, at the, at the stage where every Monday you have to remind yourself what happened on Friday, we actually fired missiles at Syria and the president of the United States uh, tweeted out the memorable and uh, historically resonant phrase, mission accomplished. So, Jenna, was mission accomplished?
1: Well, there's definitely a divide on this among, uh, somewhat something of a divide among congressional Republicans. Um, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, who has been deeply you know, involved in um, the Syria conflict, said that basically these strikes didn't lay a glove on Assad's capabilities to wage war. They were tactical, targeted, um, but that came off as risk averse to Iran and Russia. So he says this doesn't send enough of a strong enough of a message.
0: Okay. Uh, but at least the president did something, you know, had the president not done, I mean, I'm I'm trying to look at it from the president's point of view, which is kind of odd for me, but, uh, you know, had he done nothing, of course, uh, it would have been uh, humiliating and incredibly emboldening, not just to Assad and the Russians, but anyone else thinking of using chemical weapons. On the other hand, you know, if he had gone in with a far more robust response, there would have been the possibility of escalating this conflict with, with Russia. So, what was the mission? Was the mission simply to send a message rather than to actually change the, the facts on the ground?
1: I think it was a little bit of both. Um, it was definitely, I mean, the strikes were targeted because the Pentagon said they didn't want to affect innocent civilians, and they were targeted targeted at three sites, all of which the Pentagon said are the heart or the core of Syria's chemical weapons infrastructure. So, I think it's both deterrence and saying, don't mess mess with us. Um, you have UN Ambassador Nikki Haley saying we're locked and loaded. If you if you try these, you know, chemical weapons attacks again.
0: But this is not going to change the the reality that the the Syrian civil war. You would disagree with me if I'm because you know a lot more about this than I do. The Syrian civil war is essentially over, isn't it? I mean Assad is winning mm-hmm. that that uh, that civil war. His uh, his hold on power is not is not threatened, and nothing that happened over the weekend changes that.
1: Right. Uh, I mean, the suburb outside of Damascus was one of the longest running, you know, rebel strongholds, and Russia said that it is now under Assad's control and the rebels have ceded it. Um, So I think in terms of next steps, I think... The U.S., UK, and France have a uh, joint resolution resolution circulating in the UN. We'll see how successful that is. You know, calling on Assad to pers- participate in UN-led uh, peace talks; those have failed in the past. So, I guess we'll yeah. see.
0: Well, the, the the body language was awfully interesting over the weekend. Uh, the the morning after the the bombing which would normally be a relatively bad news um assad and his supporters seemed to be in a rather upbeat mood of course we had that picture of him going into the office wearing a suit you know carrying a briefcase you know with a big smile uh there were demonstrations that that appeared um to be celebrations that it wasn't worse so again this this is one of those how do you read the signals here um wh- why would assad and his supporters react to being bombed by essentially being somewhat giddy.
1: Part of this is speculation on my part, but I think that that would be their reaction pretty much no matter what. I mean, it's sort of akin to how Russian propaganda spiked, you know, by however many degrees after this, after these airstrikes. It's just posturing, I would say, um, and you know, they don't—they don't, they don't want to look weak. They want to look strong and like they're not affected by Western actions.
0: Well, and and also, I mean, if if this was the worst, if this was the worst we had, uh, they realized that in fact they could. Uh, they could survive all of this uh, in In terms of the Russian response, which I thought was interesting, uh, you know, some some harsh words. But but very clearly, this was uh, orchestrated, choreographed in such a way as not to engage any Russian forces. There were no Russian casualties. Am I right about that? And no indication that that, that Russians fired any shots in anger either.
1: Right. Um, in Contrast to the February incident um, that CIA Director Mike Pompeo confirmed this week, Um, you know, there were those hundreds of Russians that were killed um, in Syria. But, you know, the Russian response, I think, is going to stay the same at the UN. Nikki Haley seems pretty... She said multiple times, you know, Russia has vetoed these resolutions to crack down on Assad's chemical weapons program. So I don't know how much of an avenue the U.N. is really going to provide in terms of cracking down on Russia and um, Russian support for Assad. Um, You might see today, actually, sometime this week, new sanctions against Russian entities that support Assad's chemical weapons program. Uh, Haley hinted at that yesterday on the Sunday shows.
0: Do we, can we read anything into the, into the fact that, uh, uh, other than that probably badly phrased tweet where he said mission accomplished, which of course reminded everybody of uh, the the George W. Bush moment on the aircraft carrier, it, the president really hasn't had much to say about Syria since then. I mean, he's he's going after Jim Comey, he's he's lashed out at uh, you know at his, at his at the usual suspects, but the president has had very little to say about Syria, which is. I don't know, maybe somewhat unusual, given the fact that he did address the nation. He did sit down and address the nation. Uh, this would, in um, in 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 theory, be the kind of thing that he would want to do everything possible to move to the top of the of the news cycle. But he doesn't seem that anxious to talk about it. Why not?
1: Well, he seems, like you said, pretty consumed by Comey, uh, who I'm sure in his mind is you know sort of an arch nemesis. So that definitely is on the forefront of his thoughts. But also, I think part of it is something similar to Russia, where the president, if you recall a couple weeks ago, said, you know, the U.S. would be withdrawing troops from Syria very soon. He had to be persuaded otherwise by his military commanders. And now um, other administration officials continue to take a line that is sort of harsher than his and keep talking about Syria. I keep talking about Nikki Haley, but we don't have a secretary of state, so she's sort of the one that has assumed this diplomatic role. She said yesterday that You know, the U.S. isn't withdrawing yet. We still have to do three things. Um, We have to ensure that Assad never gets chemical weapons, ensure that ISIS is completely wiped out and the area is stabilized. And you have to ensure that Iran doesn't fill the vacuum that um, ISIS and, you know, these other terror groups leave behind. I am not sure that the president, who has been sort of coerced or persuaded into keeping Troop levels in Syria, against his wishes, wants to continue talking about this and continue talking about the strategy in Syria.
0: So basically, we don't really have a real long-term strategy right now in Syria.
1: I think that that is the complaint that you're hearing from lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. It's something that's uniting, you know, Elizabeth Warren and Lindsey Graham. I think you know, well, maybe not Lindsey Graham, probably Marco Rubio more than um, Graham. But I think they all want. Uh, To see a comprehensive long term strategy rather than just sort of policing these chemical weapons attacks, which are horrible. But the conventional weapons attacks that have wiped out civilians are just, you know, death is death. It's it's yeah, it's an atrocity.
0: Well, the, the thing that's difficult, and I, I guess I'd put myself in the same category as a lot of these other folks uh, scratching their heads, asking, well, what are the good options? Because, uh, you know, after Barack Obama drew that red line in the sand and then backed away and essentially invited the Russians into Syria and went through this kabuki dance of pretending that we got rid of all of the uh, the, the, the chemical weapons, you know, that obviously uh, meant that uh, the President Trump inherited a, a you know, pretty... A, a pretty unstable situation, uh, and then of course you have the president himself, who has no um, interest in long-term engagement in Syria. And as you pointed out, it was just what was it uh, a week ago, two weeks mm-hmm. ago that that he's that he's railing about getting out of Syria, reportedly within forty-eight hours. So this is somebody who is not going to prosecute a long-term, uh, long-term intervention. So at this point, what are the good options? I mean, does anyone? I mean, does Lindsey Graham? And I'm very sympathetic with Lindsey Graham. Does Lindsey Graham really want to go back militarily, uh, intervene in Syria? Does he really want boots on the ground in Syria? Are we really going to go that, that direction?
1: I am not sure. Um, I no. will be sure to ask him this week when I'm roaming the halls of Congress. Um, but in terms of the strategy that the administration is going to take right now, there's been a lot of emphasis on the UN. I have I don't know if I've really seen and, you know, sort of doing this, this um, continuing this mission to destroy ISIS. I don't know that I've really seen... Uh, much talk about what to do with Assad specifically. There was a dust-up a couple months ago between Tillerson and the president and Haley with um, some suggestion that, you know, getting Assad out isn't a priority, and there was pushback from the press on the semantics of all of that. So because when you say you, you want Assad out, you want uh, it, it rings comes off as regime change. And that is something that the president has made very clear he does not want to do and he sort of wants to avoid being yeah, associated with
0: yeah here's an interesting quote from greg jaffe the president's dilemma is that strength and resolve do not necessarily equal a well-thought-out syria strategy if Assad ignores friday's relatively modest military strike and uses chemical weapons trump faces a difficult choice he can escalate pulling the u.s military and his administration into a messy conflict that he recently said he wanted to abandon or he can do nothing and risk appearing weak and the reality is i, I don't know that anybody knows how he will react Um, I suppose at this point, the best case scenario is that by acting, he did send a message that, uh, you know, keep killing your people, uh, keep waging your war. You can hold on to power. Just don't use chemical weapons anymore. Just just don't just don't do that. If you know everything else, I'm willing to look the other way, but that's what I can't tolerate. And so maybe if you just kill people with with other munitions rather than chemical weapons, um, then that would be the mission accomplished.
1: I think I'm, c- yeah. See, I'm cynical. I think that that's right. And I think that that's the that exact encapsulation is the thing that Lindsey Graham took issue with, um, because he doesn't think it should be chemical weapons based response. It should be more holistic based on all of the atrocities that, you know, Assad has committed throughout his you know tenure as leader of, of Syria, I guess.
0: Well, again, we just we just we just don't know. And as we, you pointed out before, the president seemed far more focused uh, on Jim Comey, the former FBI director, than he did on Syria. And I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about that. But, um, you know, this is one of those moments where, you know, whether you watched Jim Comey last night or or going to read his book. And I, of course, I'm going to read the book. But just take a step back about how abnormal our times are, that you have a republican appointee a you know and a former fbi director former deputy attorney general sitting there on national television talking about uh, the moral unfitness of the president of the united states i mean i guess you know this far into into trump land maybe this appears to be just sort of another development but it really is extraordinary whether you think that Uh, you know, know, Comey himself has shown uh, poor judgment or whether he uh, has been something of a showboat, which I think he has. It's still remarkable when you have somebody of that background and that stature comparing the elected president of the United States to a mob boss. And I guess it's just it's you have to remind yourself that that we are not living in normal times, are we?
1: We are not, uh, especially because uh, hand in hand with that, you have Couple Republicans um, on the Senate side who have signed on to a bill to protect Special Counsel Counsel Robert Mueller, just in case the President makes good on these threats that he has made, you know, behind closed doors repeatedly in the past uh, about you know potentially firing him or Rosenstein and sort of getting rid of this whole Russia probe investigation. Um, the, the bill is going to be considered by the Judiciary Committee this week, hopefully. So. Um, Repo- republican and democrats both backing it
0: i uh, i think the only thing that will dissuade trump from going ahead because I, I i think that he's he he wants to do it he wants to fire Rosenstein. he wants to shut this down the only thing that's going to stop him will be if if he understands that that in fact this doesn't stop the investigation this does not prevent the fbi from going after uh his personal lawyer or any of those other messy things in fact uh, later today in the southern district of new york Um, You could have some, you know, potential fireworks. I know that Bill Kristol tweeted out a link from uh, from a website called which I'm not familiar with called Empty Wheel, saying that uh, the Southern District of New York will be forced to talk about crimes involving the president today. At two o'clock this afternoon in a courtroom in southern Manhattan, a lawyer someone hired last Wednesday to represent Donald Trump named uh, Joanna Hendon will push prosecutors from the Southern District of New York to explain that they have probable cause to believe crimes involving the president have been committed. And then he goes on to explain why. Uh, so he can fire Rod Rosenstein. He can fire Bob Mueller. But this is a separate criminal investigation. And nothing um, no, nothing he will do would actually stop that. And of course, there's all kinds of speculation now about whether he would use his pardon power uh, to shut all of this down. Um, and, uh, again, we could, we, we could speculate about all of this, but, you know, particularly as you're going into a midterm election in which the democratic margin seems to be narrowing, that would seem to be calculated to basically detonate a nuclear explosion in the middle of, uh, of American politics, wouldn't it?
1: Yes. And I mean, in terms of this special counsel bill specifically, it's polarizing Republicans on, you know, it's... People, they're saying we don't want to support it for legal reasons, but they're also saying we don't, you know, covertly, tacitly, behind closed doors, they're saying we don't want to support it for political reasons. We don't want to look like we don't trust our own president. This is sending a bad message. Um, So it's sort of a principle versus political necessity decision that lots of Republicans are going to have to make, um, you know, ahead of the elections.
0: I actually heard some interesting poll numbers a few weeks ago, and I, and I wish I would be able to, uh, to to cite specifically where they came from, um, that, that, of course, reminded us how polarized we are. You know, the Democrats and Republicans look at this whole issue completely differently. But the one area, the one area where there was a crossover, bipartisan consensus, is on this question of, is anyone above the law? Is hmm. the president above the law? And it's too early to know whether or not that will be framed that way in the public's mind um, or whether it's going to divide on red, blue, the normal red, blue uh, alignments. But but if, in fact, this becomes an issue that the president has essentially said that he and his family and his friends and colleagues are above the law, that could change the political dynamic. And the reason I was thinking about that this morning was of course the New York Times, which is not the New York Times editorial board, which is not gonna be terribly influential necessarily in Donald Trump's thinking, framed it exactly that way that the president is not above the law. If the president fires investigators looking into him, if the president uses his pardon authority to protect himself, he will, in effect, be saying that the laws that would affect you and me do not apply to to him. And, and I wonder how that political dynamic would play out in an election year.
1: The first thought that comes to my mind is the supporters of the president are, from what I've seen, pretty fervent supporters, <laughs> yes. and it's unclear whether you know what the line is this is i feel like a question we've been asking since before you know trump won the election what is the line for for them when we don't know yet <laughs> exactly when when will they you know drop off was it the access hollywood tape was it all the you know all the things i feel like that was the first time that we really asked that question because we had concrete you know concrete sort of evidence um about moral character so
0: t- I'm really glad to hear you say that, by the way, Jenna, because uh, today I just sent off uh, my my updated chapter for my, my book where I had to sort of do the, you know, um, it has been worse or better than I thought, you know, for how the right lost its mind. And I actually start with Access Hollywood Video Day and the way that I, that I thought that that was the red line. A lot of people thought that was the turning point. It was, but not the way we thought it was. And I was feeling a little bit, just a little queasy going, okay, but there are so many of those lines. It's really hard to say, well, that was the moment. But in some ways, it it, it is a useful moment. If you're willing to swallow that, you're pretty much willing to swallow anything that follows. And all of the compromises that that have taken place since are essentially reprising that moral and political decision.
1: Yes, I would agree with that.
0: Thank you so much for joining me on this Monday. We'll see you. we'll be a lot smarter, right? Uh, you know, a few years from now. Uh, uh, Jenna, appreciate it very much, and thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll do this all over again.